Hey guys, you know what Bill Murray is whispering to ScarJo at the end of Lost in Translation? How about that? How about that Twin Picks podcast? Are oh, they pretty good? Aren't they? Stupid. Uh, that was stupid. I'm not Jansen. <laughs> I'm Meg Jansen. I'm Eliza Jansen. Oh, I'm Darcy. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> and this is Twin Picks. Gosh, I love movies. Welcome to Twin Picks, the show where a pair of actual, real-life human twins Emmy. make a double feature <laughs> out of two movies that share some kind of similarity and decide which one does its job better. There's a few things on the agenda, first off, before we talk about our movies. So first yeah. off, as we have said before, um, I always randomly can't pick between saying my girlfriend, Darcy, or my girlfriend, Darcy, and or once for all, we can or Das, we can settle that because she's with us today for this episode. Darcy Eagles Hi. in the in the house. Hi, it's Hi. Darcy. Oh, so I'm really sweet. nervous, but also like got myself really hyped up before I started <laughs> doing this. Like, I'm really waiting for. She was downstairs minutes, so. uh, doing TikTok dances, so yep. she's really ready to go. Um, yeah, Das is with us, and she also brought these are like quintessential Darcy movies. So like, I we always joke like. Me as a person never shuts up about horror. That's Das with like weird coming of age kind of things. Ooh. So both of these movies are like pinpoint Darcy's. Okay. Coming of age or just like anything, it's a bit melancholy and yeah. kind of like yeah. sad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally. Yeah. I think that's kind of me too, actually. Yeah. Like I, I love agree. like a, a sad. Like it doesn't really say anything except for like yeah. sad pretty people. Like just <laughs> like, sad, sad man. Like a yeah. broken man. Yeah, I'm like there's probably something to learn from this for both of us, but, but I won't learn. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, and the other thing is, look, seeing as this is our first episode being released really amid uh, the coronavirus pandemic, um, just wanted to say hope everyone's Doing okay out there? Yeah, we're thinking of wash your hands. Wash your hands. Stay away from people. Stay inside. Yeah. Bunker down. Learn a TikTok. Learn a TikTok and do it with you. Read a fucking book. What what have we all been doing? Like, Darcy and I have been fucking plowing through Buffy. That's what we've been doing. Yeah, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Just desolating that show. (laughs) Amazing. I I've actually been really busy. I took up. I wasn't going to be studying this year, um, or at least this semester. And okay. because I had plans to travel <laughs> to Italy. Meg's the only person who got Florence. busier. After yeah. Corona meant yeah. that I was like, oh, fuck it. I'm going to be suffering anyway. So I've just taken up like four <laughs> subjects at uni and I'm working for my mum. So <laughs> that's what I've been doing. And I've been uh, watching um, Portlandia, which I'm really enjoying. So that's Eliza beautiful. told me to watch that. I've never seen that. Yeah, well, you told me to watch that. I love Fred, Fred Armstead. Armstead. He's hey. so good. He's so funny. He's so good. Yeah. Eliza, what have you been doing? Not that much, really. <laughs> like, it's not like you guys are so insane. Like, it, it sounds like you've got stuff on, but I think even compared to you guys, I feel like I'm really doing nothing. Wow. Like, having- watching The Sopranos. But- yeah, but that's, yeah, like, are, a good... Are you guys having the weird phenomenon where, like, because... Like, if you were just, like, lazy and home all day, you would be unproductive. But because we're, like, 
you know you have to stay home, it actually makes you more like schedule, like you schedule more because yeah. you stay home. Kind of, um, maybe yeah. scheduling like like alcohol at TikTok. like eleven o'clock. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, okay. no, I don't know. Yeah. So, yeah. Can we like do lots worry. of things in a day? Anyway, yeah. So because of this, we have been thinking about some fun little extra episodes that we can maybe put up to keep you all uh, busy and entertained uh, for the next few months. So keep your eyes out for that on the socials and stuff. But um, as we said, today's episode is about her. And Lost in Translation, two movies with Scarlett Johansson about loneliness and communication and... Miscommunication. Miscommunication, Mm. really, and wanting to be seen and heard. Uh, And they're both pretty great. They both come off the back of a divorce. I was going to say, I was going to say, Liza, you say Okay. I was just going to say, they're both about the same relationship. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Pretty mm. Between Spike stuff. Jones and Sofia Coppola, the directors of each film, respectively. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. I, so I am God, very excited. I just got really sad thinking about that. Yeah. Really How emotional. sad that they both have the exact, like, the visuals and just, like, the sense of loneliness in this. You're like, what was that relationship You're like, like, why couldn't you make yeah. it work? You both felt the yeah. same way. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah. Are you know. a big, like, crier in movies, Darcy? Um, yes. Yes and no. Like, I probably mm. don't. Alone, yes, and I feel like I've cried at both of these movies for sure. Yeah, you cry yeah. at one point, like not the last time I watched them, not the time I watched them for like the podcast, but times before, definitely. I'm a huge crier in movies. I love to cry, mm. like full stop. But especially yeah. in movies, mm. and like more so in her than in Lost in Translation. Yeah, definitely. But um, yeah, there's something about like it's just like the melancholia of both of them. Yeah. It's so when I literally think back and think like what movies have made me cry, it's Portrait of a Lady on Fire and these yeah. two movies. Isn't that crazy? What? Yeah, we are. Lost in Translation? Yeah, Lost in uh, Translation. Mine is really sad. Moonlight. That is like oh, in so my room. Sad. I didn't see it in the cinemas. I just sobbed at the third act of that. Like uh, I can't even rewatch that. That's too much. Eliza, me. what's mine? <laughs> Eggs is Atonement and Never yeah. Let Me Go. Oh, <laughs> oh, never Let Me Go. I sob, but like no, the most violent thing. I remember that day when we came like, home. <laughs> Remember that day? That was just fun time. I watched and Blue Never Valentine. Let me go. No, we came home oh, and you were watching Blue Valentine. Valentine. We were like, oh, yeah. and you were screaming, like, actually screaming. screaming. When I watched, because I couldn't Never breathe, let me, and I was it. like, I was watching it, and I was by myself, and it just got to this point where I was like, I can't breathe, and I'm trying to cry. I must scream. <laughs> scream. Yeah, when we watched Never Let Me Go together. When you were crying, you just kept saying over and over again, you were like, it's so fucking sad. It's so sad. It was like, like it felt like you were trying to enchant yourself into crying. It was so weird. I can cry at anything, but those movies just. I've actually got a list on my computer up of movies that made me cry. I'd love oh, to do that. I should wow. start That's doing that. That's great. I love Call that. Me By Your Name is another one. You're crying. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Call Me By Your Name is like a big, But the thing about Call Me By Your Name is you're crying in the credits, which seems yeah. weird. You're sitting in those credits yeah. and you're crying with Chalamet and you're just like, wow, like. <laughs> Oh, Noah and I saw it on Valentine's oh, Day, and that's t- very exposing. Oh, it was the full Astor Cinema. Everyone at the end is like having a moment, and the lady right before the part where he like goes to the fire to like mm. have his big moment, mm. the woman in front of us just got up and started like moving. Because like, the credits like, technically come up, and literally everyone behind him was like, what? Like, everyone was audibly like, "What?" And the, she then sat next to her friend two seats away. 
So I don't know whether she was going to leave, then heard everyone be like, the fuck are you doing? And sat down. (laughs) Or if she was like, oh, this bit's really great. I want to sit next to my friend now. It was so weird. So we hated her. We hated her. We were like, how dare you? Um, And Darcy, you have cried in like five episodes of Buffy. What? You've you've cried in a bunch of Buffy episodes. I love Buffy. That's more sentimental just life-wise. Oh, what Buffy has to go through is horrible. Sad parts, I'll just be like, I'm like, this is so formative to my womanhood. (laughs) (laughs) It's a sad show. I am who I am because of this. Poor Buffy. Well, anyway, let, do we want to talk about her and Lost in Translation? Yes. We'll, do, we'll do Lost in Translation first because okay. it, it came first. So mm-hmm. let's do it. Lost in Translation is a 2003 drama just depressing fucking film <laughs> um, written and <laughs> directed by Sofia Coppola. Um, and it stars Bill Murray as this kind of like older actor, um, kind of probably a little bit past his heyday, who is in Tokyo to film a, uh, like he, he's in an, an ad for like a Japanese whiskey, which Das will fill us in on in a second. Um, and essentially about how she, um, how he befriends a college graduate called Charlotte, played by Scarlett Johansson. And how they kind of just are two people in pretty lonely places and how they connect with one another. But before that, Das is very familiar with the Japanese whiskey in this ad. Oh, well, the brand, Suntory. Oh, my yeah. God. I did an ad for them at the start of the year. Das so they do an ad with them this, this year. Well, I've been joking the whole time that I was like, I feel like Bill Murray and Lost in Translation because I did an ad for Suntory. Not their whiskey, though. They do heaps. They're, like, huge. Apparently, they're, yeah. co- like they're Coca-Cola yeah, in Coca-Cola. Like, yeah, Japan. Yeah, it's very big. And they were, like, huge I, I didn't recognise this part enough until you'd come back from filming. They're, like, part of the ad is, like, there were these two little girls. Yeah in it who've been doing it they're real sisters and they've been doing it since they were like babies like since the second one was even born and they're like and they're like celebrities big celebrities like like Olsen twins and like they had like a behind the scenes group like camera crew filming them so sweet oh my god it's like the Rhonda and Katut of Japan yeah (laughs) that's what I mean like that level of ad I was like imagine if I just picked these movies to plug my ad (laughs) (laughs) ad no but it is a really good (laughs) nice refreshing um, drink has it come out yet no, and I like I've got to message my agent and be like, "Can you send it to me when it comes?" I follow them on social media, hoping that they'll post it. And I'll what, what did you have to tell tell people what you did in the ad? I, I want to picture. Well, it. I, I stood on it. a platform that raised, and we had to like drink the Suntory. It was like an apple milk drink, <laughs> Ew. and then we had to be like. <laughs> Uh, what was it? Oh, Totonoka or something like that. Now I've completely forgot. And we rose on the platform as we were <laughs> drinking the drink. It was very like Japanese, ad, like everything you'd imagine. Beautiful. Um, it's great. Well, yeah, that like the scenes, those scenes of Bill Murray filming the ad in the movie are some of the like ones that like most effectively, you know, kind of express, like convey that idea of being like not only a lo- like feeling lonely, but feeling like in the world that you occupy, you're kind of alone. Like, he literally obviously can't understand what other people like are saying to him. But even like with English speaking people, like back at the hotel, he feels just completely glossed over or not truly seen and heard. Mm. And kind of one of those movies that you realize what a kind of like palpable feeling that is and how rarely it's portrayed in film, probably because it's very difficult to portray in film. Yeah, I do think it is difficult to portray in film, you're right, but I don't know that this film conveys it necessarily in the most, like, 
I don't want to say respectful because it's not disrespectful, but like, I don't know. I don't think it's like necessarily cognizant of the fact that like a lot of the tropes that it criticizes as Eliza and I are actually talking about a little bit on off mic, um, aren't necessarily completely like Japanese. Like the thing of like this Japanese sex worker and this like comedy of the moment and stuff. Some of it felt a little bit mocking to me on the rewatch that I didn't yeah. like admire as much. I was just like, oh, really? yeah, like I love that. I love that Japan is admired for being this culture that is so homogenized and like um, foreign to us as like, you know, say if we're putting ourselves in Bill Murray's shoes, he is admired as this like former um, movie star or whatever. And he's like kind of frozen in time in this culture as opposed to in like America where he's like sort of more aging and isn't as admired. But part of me is like, oh, there are moments that just didn't sit super, super well, or at least I didn't find like endearing. I just found a little bit like, oh, like this, it, it feels mocking or it feels like reductive to be like, oh, this is what Japan is. Japan is karaoke and this whiskey. And I really feel that with this mm, one. I don't know. I don't know if it's because I was like looking at it with more of a critical lens or if it is that thing of watching a movie that doesn't say a lot, obviously, when you kind of do dig by necessity you can dig into things that you're like, oh, maybe I actually don't like that that much. But it just yeah. sits super well with me on the rewatch. Not that I hated it, it, but I was just kind of like. Quick oh. way of setting up the idea that yeah. they're out of com- like proper communication with anyone else around them. But I get what you mean is in like, I felt like a little bit like that about the sex worker scene. Yeah. Because it is like I set up as a comedy thing. It's a comedy yeah. moment, but it is a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah, it feels like, like we're laughing yeah. at her or we're laughing at this culture. And I'm kind of like. Yeah, I don't know. Eliza, we kind of spoke about this and I think you have more thoughts yeah. on it. You could probably articulate it better than I can. I think obviously Sofia Coppola is such an amazing visual storyteller. Yeah. And our first and female director on the podcast. Which is such an no. indictment on us. Is Wait, it? what? A lady directed yeah. Billy Madison. Oh, oh yeah. that's right. Oh, oh, oh my God. What is going on with both of these as well? <laughs> this isn't a so use for us. Yeah. It's a use for the industry. <laughs> Sorry. <Yeah. laughs> anyway, go Sophia on. Sofia is problematic yeah. to me as the director. Yeah, anyway. <laughs> yeah, and all of her movies are kind of about being like trapped in your privilege and being really isolated and alone and kind of living in a vacuum Mm. and all of the visuals in lost in translation that tell about that weird liminal thing of being in a hotel in another country and being like where even am I like I don't belong to anything right now Mm. but I think when when it has to be spoken out loud by the characters or when she's like all right I need a scene to show like how crazy and alien this culture is it yeah like like Meg's saying this time watching it it didn't land for me I was like you said all this with your amazing travel footage why did you need yeah like especially exchanges where Bill Murray and like um Scarlett Johansson like after it already being a joke in like multiple scenes they're like why do they mix up L and R and it's yeah. like, why do you guys only speak one language, you dingbats? Like, <laughs> look at yeah. yourselves. I think I do think of this film maybe as a bit of a disservice to Coppola's visual storytelling. The ability that she has to capture the nuance and, like, subtlety of, like, discontentment, but especially, like, feminine and adolescent discontentment is, like, better represented probably in, like, The Virgin Suicides, which I love as a film, or even The Beguiled or she sort of turns on its head in that film. But watching this, I am just a little bit at at odds with the steps she takes to sort of juxtapose. I'm like, yeah, this feels like fodder for, you know, an analysis, but it it doesn't actually 
mean that much to me. Like it doesn't mean that much to me that, you know, they have this moment where they sing karaoke and it's supposed to be them like uniting cultures or whatever. I'm like, well, am I supposed to laugh at this? Am I supposed, like what, what yeah. response do you I, want? I had some very different uh, experiences with this film that I think a lot of you guys did, but Das spoke to a lot of those things really interestingly um, about how you feel about the Scarlett Johansson character that I thought kind of goes off oh, that pretty interestingly. No, I, I, I weirdly for the first time watching this movie, I like really stood out to me that opening shot of her butt. Oh yeah. yeah. And the little like, I don't know, like, exactly. Cause then there are some beautiful shots of her that are so, uh, there's like one where it's like, <laughs> from the bottom and it's like, and she's kind of just like relaxed in this position. And I was like, this is like, I relate to this as like a female yeah. lens. And it feels so from a female lens. And yeah. then an opening shot, I always sit there and go like, I feel like I'm making excuses you for why she's up, done, yeah. why what, done this. Like, and I'm sure there's a reason. There a reason. I don't know. But, I think I'm yeah. just sitting there sometimes like making up why this is a feminine lens yeah. and why this is shot. But I don't know. I mean, it's not like that. Yeah. I'm not that critical of it, but it I jumped out. Yeah. Like, yeah. I wonder if it's literally just to, kind of flay the character open and be like she's really vulnerable and we're mm. gonna do that the way that most movies make women vulnerable which is like showing Through their her sexy yeah. semi-naked yeah. body yeah. Yeah. underwear yeah i don't know mm. yeah i know that coppola is like very readily criticized you know when she's categorized as existing within this like cinema of girlhood she's criticized for it because it is in a lot of ways concerned superficially with like you know moments of tenderness and vulnerability like this mm. that do tend to subscribe Focus on to that first. male yeah. gaze. Yeah. She has great, great visuals as you're yeah. saying. And that's like, I mean, Virgin Suicides is my favorite from her. Yeah. And like, I'm as much a hoe for like the yeah. visuals and like, <laughs> like I just want to yeah. in the whole world of like, as I am for the problematic grass. Yeah. 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 Um, but yeah, I don't know that that's necessarily something that I'm critical of because it does convey that is her, like that's her cinematic language is yeah. This kind these kind of, vulnerable tender moments so I don't know that I necessarily have a problem with it if anything I'm kind of like that's your thing like play like lean into that not so much of the the literal yeah none of her women are all cards on the table she's no, still portrays very women guarded. as very mysterious and quite guarded. like you know yeah which is mm. why you get such an impression watching her films of like her even though we can never really know like a filmmaker mm. entirely because of their movies like it's all very calculated but her more so than most directors, and I'm like a huge Sphere Coppola fan. Mm. Um, her, her more so than most other directors, you feel this impression of her in these movies. Her, huh? um, but like, yeah, I don't know. It feels like such an impulse to tie her to this movie as well. Yeah, that, I mean, that's the whole thing with female directors is like she's so. I mean, yeah. we're heavily scrutinizing. <laughs> feels, yeah. I'm heavily scrutinizing one shot in a movie that doesn't even pale in comparison to yeah. a million shots of you know yeah. women being objectified sure. in completely. Movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. Um, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I honestly had an experience with this very akin to when we watched Breakfast Club. Like, mm. I felt like this wasn't a film that ever connected to me, um, and not for the content of it either. Like, I, that I was quite young when I saw her for the first time, and it was like as hypnotic then as it is to me now. Um, but I think what really touched me this time with watching Lost in Translation again was. Uh, that I realised I'd never really seen a cinematic depiction of like that that sense that you can slip into a pattern of living and accept it for so long and not even notice like how has it like how to- kind of toxic it is like I think I think there's a lot of cinema and like art about people being like I'm in this horrible thing and I don't know how to get out of it 
And I think it's, if anything, much more affecting to see two people just being so accepting of like the mundane until they meet each other mm. and have an actual conversation and they realize that their heart hasn't like been singing for like mm. years and years. You know what I mean? Like yeah. Das pointed out that the first time that like anyone literally like an actual conversation, conversation is yeah. had is when Scarlett and Bill Murray really talk and you go like, you literally like see the like space around them like, which well, was like a sigh of relief. Like I feel like that's exactly. what it's built up to be, and all it's of like that. you see me. And like, or whatever. I feel like that's such a relatable human thing that like you mm. realize like, oh, I was. You look back and you're like, wow, like I accepted my reality for so long to be this thing that like did nothing for me. Mm. Um, yeah, mm. it's a very human thing, and it's actually how did you guys as you feel about well. how do you guys feel about the romance on this watch? Mm. Um. I mean, honestly, I'll be perfectly honest. I'm a big fat sucker for this. Like, I don't mm. know. I'm like. Is that on daddy issues? No, I don't. <laughs> <laughs> like, I just, like, I'm just like, I, I always find this. I honestly watch it every time and go, I could have I watched this without the kiss. I feel like that last moment is mm. so romantic regardless of kiss or not. Yeah. I feel like it's it, honestly as well, like, I mean, I'm obviously I'm a big fan of Bill Murray, but it's weird also knowing now as well you're like he is just playing himself. This is mm. a man, I mean, who in real yeah. life has like – uh, sort of domestic violence allegations against him and, like, has been accused of, like, running away from his family and his children and, like, mm. all of this stuff. And like I kind of just see. Kinda. Exactly. Yeah, so I kind of just see him playing himself, which then has another element of being, like, around all of this stuff. Um, what do you think, yeah. Laz? Yeah, I think it's funny. Like, um, when I first watched the movie, I was pretty into the romance and stuff. I, I think it still works for me. Like, it's it really feels like it's not. Um, they're age. I hate how it's always like old creepy guys that say this, but like age is just a number. <laughs> like, you know, uh, when you see like you know how well their characters interact, you don't really think about their age or like where they are in their lives that much. No. But I think what you're talking about with like the semi autobiographical element to the movie, it kind of freaks me out a little bit. Like the mm. fact that Sofia Coppola was sort of going through this fractured relationship with Spike Jones while making it. And in the movie, Scarlett Johansson's boyfriend is this douchey, like, too cool for school filmmaker, photographer yeah. guy. Mm. That's yeah. weird enough. And then it makes it even more complicated when Scarlett Johansson is talking to Bill Murray. No, um, Bill Murray's on the phone to his wife back in L.A. Mm. And he talks about how he's not around enough for his kids and stuff. And he's, like, obviously in movies as well. Mm. And it made me think for the first time, like, oh, my God, I think – Sophia Coppola is kind of casting Bill Murray as her dad. As her in a dad, way. Yeah. yeah. No, I and thought like that too. And he's a little, she sounds like cites him as the muse. Yeah, for this whole movie. I mean, exactly. that's how she speaks about him for this movie is the muse. And um, I also, yeah. like, as much as I go, like, I completely understand. Like, you know, there is something between the two of them. I also think the reason they're interested in each other is because of the age gap and what they see in those ages in themselves. Like. It's Bill Murray being able to tap into a past version of himself yeah. at an age when everything didn't have to be figured out and he wasn't married, he didn't have kids or like he was yeah. sort of in those early stages of his marriage and for her it's seeing someone who's gone through it and she's like, what's it like yeah. on That's the other side? That's what the like, that, electricity yeah. of that final, like the most famous moment of the movie is, which is like the the like very ending of the movie is as he is about to go back home to America, he instead like gets out of the car, runs up to Scarlett Johansson and whispers in her ear and we don't know you don't hear what 
he's whispering. You don't know what it is. Mm. And, you know, it's one of those great moments that like everyone has their own opinion of what it is, of what he's saying, but it's always something along, I feel like that, that generally most people would say it's something along the lines of like, you should like invest in your happiness or like yourself. Or just like have a great life. Like or just something. don't, yeah, don't like settle. I really hope he doesn't, like, I really hope in like Coppola's mind that they never, ever, ever meet again, ever. Yeah, like, I don't totally. want them to, I don't want them it, to exist outside of this little vacuum totally. in Japan. Parts of it remind me of, I don't uh, think they could. The, yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it, yeah. So many parts of it remind me of that thing in, with, um, in the mood for love. Obviously, the age difference is very different, but that, that sense of like a relationship that has like, weird like gentle tinges of romance but it's more so just about like the desperation to connect about, yeah. and deep um, understanding and which is nice as well here where it's like different possibilities that hang in the air kind yeah, of yeah it's that complete almost not asexual but it's just completely romantic like this is like yeah strictly totally or not even romantic yeah. just like I don't know. I think romantic's the I think romantic's a great word. Yeah. That's romantic the same thing we said about Because he has sex with love. the other woman. Yeah. I love that part in the movie. Like oh, I love whatever so that is. That yeah. fight afterwards is so, uh, yeah. yeah, such an interesting thing to me because it does kind of remove the sexuality yeah. out, of, out of them a little bit. And, yeah. Yeah. and the way like I find it so interesting the way that she reacts to seeing him. So like she opens up the door and like she clearly like hears that he has a woman with him so that he's cheated. And I always find it so interesting how she reacts to that. Like it's almost her being like, I see she's it. Like, like, I see it, whatever. She's kind of like really quite casual about it and like not that affected by it. And I, that was a moment where I was like, what is that saying me, about? It doesn't just speak to like, I guess that there is an acknowledgement between the two of them that even though they've said nothing and nothing's happened, there is something romantic going on and yeah. they're both married, but there is something going on. It also just speaks to being so disappointed in somebody. Yeah. Like I think there's also a level of kind of like the reason we haven't been pushing this any further is because there's like some form of maybe respect there or like we think. Mm. But, yeah, I think there's like a disappointment thing in that too Mm. that you could say, I guess, if Flies, you were saying, is this her dad? I don't know. Like there's, yeah, a lot to read into that. Yeah, like seeing a parent cheat Mm. on your mum or something. Yeah. Mm. Wow. A film with a lot to interrogate. (laughs) Very yes. interesting. Shall we move on? Yeah, let's do it. To her. is a 2013 uh, science fiction romance film uh, written and directed by Spike Jones. It follows such a good name, Theodore Twombly. Twombly? <laughs> play- Twombly? Twombly. Twombly. Sure. Like Cy Twombly, the painter. Aww. Oh, there you go. Played by Joaquin Phoenix. Um, and he is a man who, after recently uh, going through or separated his, um, from his wife, about to go through a divorce, uh, develops a relationship with an AI, like a kind of like Siri, um, voiced by Scarlett Johansson, and about the unique, just about like again, like the need to connect and the unique factors associated with being in a romantic relationship with technology. Um, I think this was like 
one of those films that you talk about like, as a kid when you're like, oh, I watched this movie and then I was like, oh, movies can be like that. That was kind of her for me, maybe. Like I, we were always like a movie family, but mm. um, her was quite huge for me. And I still yeah. kind of think I like that the dialogue, particularly in like the film sphere around her now, is that it was probably like one of like, in, it was in like everyone's top five of the decade and like, pretty much a masterpiece and like very possibly the best film of the decade. Like it's amazing. It's like an all timer. And I don't think at the time yeah. we recognized that. Is that just me? Wow, I mean, that it was, was, it was nominated bold. for an Oscar. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. But, and like it got, yeah, I, I just feel like it kind of got not brushed aside, but we all recognized it was amazing. And then years afterwards, we realized it was one of those films that we all still talked about from that year. And well, now it's, it's like, when people talked about like even Wiccan's performance in the Joker, I was like, are we not remembering yes. her? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Such an incredible like, breakout moment for Wiccan. It's the perfect like, reflection. Wow, look at him solidify. I was like, yeah. was it's the perfect amazing. reflection of everything that we talk about with like, mm. why do we give best actor Oscars to like the manic crazy thing when like, Exactly. This is the exact much more work. opposite thing of like mm. what he should have gotten the Oscar for of that thing of like, the most vulnerable, authentic. Well, he just feels so real say. in this mm. movie, this character. Mm. Yeah. I love Spike Jones. I love this entire, like, World. not collective, but like, it's one of those. Um, the Spike Jack Jones. guys? Yeah, Spike the Jackass guys. Like, the so Spike Jones, like, started Beastie out boys. in the 90s doing all these, like, Beastie Boys music videos and things, mm. fell in with all the Jackass guys, got together with Coppola, then had this, like, long-spanning creative affiliation with like Kaufman and like that whole world is like the best Wikipedia little rabbit hole to fall into. <laughs> yeah, very they true. They are so incestuous. Cool. They're all <laughs> connected and it's just like fab and it gives me life. So that's just like a little side note of mine that I, I would love say this her world. is the cream of that crop. Yeah, <laughs> it is. It's so, it's his, um, am I right in saying it's his screenwriting debut? Solo screenwriting debut. Yeah. Yeah. And what a like testament to his like conceptual ability. The idea that he came up with this, you know, really um authentic down to earth story of like a romance that is that exists within this completely conceptual idea of like yes. another realm. Like the idea that at the end of it um, Scarlett Johansson's character is like, okay, well, I don't exist in this realm anymore. Like me and the other AIs are like going somewhere else. And if I see you there, I, I'll see you there. But but we're, we're literally And no like, one could tear us oh. apart. Isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's the most devastating part. But it's also oh. so interesting to me that he's able to convey that in sort of language that we can understand, like the idea of like yeah. – Putting it into heartbreak, something yeah. that people can exactly like that's to. how we can understand this idea of like the different. I I, I don't want to like, yeah. like to put me. down Lost in Translation with this comment because I think it is so incredibly like beautiful and authentic. But I think her is the like epitome of everything we always say we wish movies would do. Like we mm. wish that they would take a thing and be like. What is a way that no one's thought of a more original, braver? scarier way we can express this and then it just does that like I think it takes something and like puts it does exactly what science fiction is supposed to do of like it allows so many of those ideas to have so much more depth but then also he retains so much like wit like this film isn't like cold like Lost in Translation is like I always think about like mm. you know the little like video game character that's like yeah, oh, yeah. and stuff like all yeah. that stuff I'm like only what Spike Jones world. would fill this world 
with like and it's charming shit like that. Better than in a sense of we were kind yeah. of talking about the Japan it's, thing and how yeah. we're like looking at that as a bit more mm. problematic now. Yeah. This is like, you know, well, how yeah. about we take it to this place that, again, isolates the audience a little bit but yeah. can still have these more Yeah, and like, doesn't offend not, anyone in doing yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it doesn't yeah. feel like a novelty that it, this exists in this, you know, future it's and just I like hipstery which is probably say it's like this like hipstery like something so pastel colors and you're like well, yeah i buy that like probably where we're going reading up on like the production of this oh, film yeah. the one visual imperative was like no blue like they did not want to push yeah. wow. blue onto the film it's very un-sci-fi it's, yeah that's a super sci-fi Soft, trope. yeah it's, it's like that. any and they said we don't want that and so what comes out of it is this beautiful, warm, everything's in reds it's and so pinks. True. And I think that imbues it with a sense of romanticism as well. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I think, I think as you were saying, Darcy, kind of complements the visual storytelling a lot better. Mm. That, or the idea, the visual language, like sort of conveys it better to me that the subtlety and nuance of their relationship, how it unfolds, it doesn't feel like a novelty that ex- exists in this alienating yeah. society or whatever yeah, i think like there's a big and very cool canon of like contemporary sci-fi weird realism stories like i'm mainly thinking of black mirror yeah that yeah. talk about like how technology and people really interact and this has so much to say about technology and social media and i love that it doesn't do it in this edgy way like yeah. this re- really this movie really gives me hope for the future, which yeah. is something that is so rare. <laughs> this actually yeah. really reminds me yeah. of that Black Mirror episode, the one, what's it called? Santa whatever. Oh, my oh. San Junipero. San Junipero. Oh. That's like the best oh. Black Mirror I episode. I've never been re-watching Black Mirror. Like I watched Black Mirror. You know, we watch all the episodes. Yeah. I lived on cloud nine for like a week after watching that episode oh, because that episode. of how depressing all the other ones are. Yeah. You know, you usually but leave, it's like, not like that. It stands alone. That's the whole yeah. Black Mirror thing. That it's so ironic that a show that is often criticised for like, how just like sometimes gratuitously bleak it goes that yeah. all of its best episodes are so optimistic yeah, yeah. anyway <laughs> sorry i got you <laughs> off track Lizzie. no it's okay i just like um i think the fact that this movie can lull you into believing in this future where technology actually does like improve people's lives mm. and it's like an organic and even healthy part of our lives like mm. what a feat dude and like mm. i remember reading Around when the movie came out, Spike Jones said one of his favorite shots is when Theodore's like sprinting around in LA, actually Shanghai or whatever, mm. and he trips and unplanned, like I, I think Joaquin just fell over and all the extras like swarm to help him and like pick him up. <laughs> and it's like, um, only, it's only like a little quick shot. It's not very imperative mm. to the plot and stuff, but it's like, oh, in this future where everyone is on their phones, like we will still make time for each other and like yeah. everything's purpose is still to connect yeah. with one another. It's still a very like, humane oh, longing. Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah, beautiful. And I think, I think it also doesn't like, it definitely presents that, you know, like it, it I think so typically in art we depict technology as like so like it's everything's so black and white commonly in art and like it's depicted that whereas in life you know you have to give you have to balance different parts of your life technology will always bring you down like you know like anything else in your life it requires balance and sometimes you can place too much importance on one thing and then it outweighs something else and I love that the film doesn't act like it also doesn't act like technology is just perfect and going to be amazing. It shows that, yeah, technology can take your life to a dark place if you let it. But just like anything else, it 
can exist well, he's harmoniously using technology in your life. as a form of connectivity. Yeah. yeah. Whereas you think about the negative episode, like like of Black Mirror, sometimes that's the goal, but it, sometimes it is more that kind of like ooh selfish and like where mm. technology can take you in that place. But he's like using technology. He's lonely. Yeah. Like and like and the li- the most. So the like little. In, in the film itself, when he's most like face-to-face connected with someone, with Rooney Mara, when mm. they're like speaking to each other and they have that fight at lunch, that's like the most he speaks to someone face-to-face without like the interruption or whatever of like technology and it's the most hostile environment he's ever in. Yeah, completely. Um, yeah. I love yeah. that scene. I also like I think it also interrogates very well, obviously a big conversation with AI is – I love one that sticks out to me more than now uh, the more I watch it is when he goes to the beach and he talks with Samantha about how she's like, I love my form. Like I love, I, I used to be like feel restricted, but now I feel like I, as I exist in this like cyber, uh, you know, realm, I, I feel free and I feel like I'm learning every day and growing. And it's just, I think it also interrogates that really interesting thing of like, what is existence? and like, what is it? Like, why are we so superior to be like, oh, mm. well, our existence is the only one that's, like, valid because we have these, like, human, like, because we bleed and stuff, you know. Mm. As as Meg said about that ending is her being like, well, my form is now moving into this new realm and that's mm. just as valid as your experience. Yeah. It is such a, yeah. I, I love the commentary in this movie just about the, um, the idea of letting people grow, like letting mm. the person, that's, like, a huge yeah, thing. I mean, the past totally. relationship and then this one about the idea of, like, being in a relationship where you want someone to grow, but the idea then being if they grow Away to become a different person yeah. you can't be yeah. with, you have to accept that. Mm. And the line that always gets me is the one where he's saying to Rooney Mara's character, um, it's nice to be with someone who's, like, excited mm. about life again. Mm. Oh, and it just burns her. Like, it's just so, yeah. like, yeah. That and it just turns from there. Can you imagine? Oh. Mm. My God. I think my favourite line that, like, is almost part of my, like, personal philosophy now is kind of, like, the... Um, like second act turn of the movie like it's when you're meant to be feeling real despair and stuff but on rewatch it becomes like this really like honest thing that Samantha says when she's like uh Theodore realizes that because she's like a hyper intelligent robot sentience or whatever (laughs) she's talking to thousands and thousands of other people at the same time and she's in a relationship with 600 of them Mm. and like you the first time you watch it, you're on his side, and you're like, "What the fuck, you you robo slut? How could you do this?" <laughs> but her line that she says, she's like, "You know, your heart isn't like a box that has like a capacity; it expands mm. to like receive as much love as it can give and stuff." And like, I'm I'm rephrasing it in like such a mm. corny way, but like, it's so true. She says and she loves him when, more because of it. She, it yeah. allows her to give have more love to mm. give him. Yeah, it's like you you're just gonna learn from, from it. Yeah. Wow, and like. Even once they've broken up and stuff. It's like polyamory. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Polyamorous agenda. Totally. And even when they've broken up, the thing that he's like, but how can we break up? Like, I've never loved someone like I loved you. She's like, yeah, well, now you know how. Like, yeah. You know, just because you break up, it doesn't mean that that was like a failure. Like, it's added to your life. Yeah. Yeah. Amazing. Go her. Spike Her. really, Spike and Sophia really battling it out. that one. I would fall in love yeah. with Scarlett Johansson's voice oh, any day. Oh, oh my god, that lady! It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't initially. Oh, it wasn't. Johansson. It was um, someone random, wasn't it? 
And she oh, was going to be doing it with. Yeah. I find that such a hard job. Like, yeah. how did Scarlett come in and then re? Yeah, redo re- it. This movie, like, knowing Joaquin's performance is there, yeah. like it's locked in. Isn't that so funny? That her experience for that was like akin to. Obviously, it's a different kind of material, but her experience for that was like akin to like going in to do her voice bit for Sing, <laughs> the movie Sing. <laughs> um, and yes, here we are talking about Imagine how it's- she's like. I prepared exactly the same. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Oh, she goes into the recording booth for Sing and, like, does beautiful monologues about like, human connection and stuff. <laughs> um, yeah, incredible. Well, shall we compare the picks? Let's do it. Yay. Now it's time for us to compare the picks. So we're going to just have a little chat about... Two films that obviously deal with very similar ideas and uh, I I think this is an interesting one for like what are they both trying to say and do differently Um, and I think that'll really interestingly speak to, as we've kind of touched on, the personal experiences of Spike and Sophia Mm. uh, as filmmakers. What do we think? I think they both are sort of trying to say the same thing almost, that you know, the need for human connection is probably, like, the most human need and, like, even taken out of our most easily understood context, you know, even in a foreign country or a foreign future, um, that need will always exist and it can take many forms and it, you know, there isn't one, you know, kind of relationship that can be had. We can have connections with people that vary and that are meaningful in different ways, you know, just as like Scarlett Johansson's relationship and Bill Murray's relationship and Lost in Translation is meaningful because it at, like on one hand saves them from their loneliness but also gives them like almost like unique guidance, like it brings youth back to Bill Murray's life and like sort of this perspective on what's to come to Scarlett Johansson. And then in the same vein for her where it's like, you know, um, Samantha – is able to show Theodore just how almost grand and big the world is and how much she, like, brings back this lust for life to him that he can't conceive of in his little vacuum. Um, And, you know, like, I think it's a very sophisticated way of saying the same thing about what we need to give each other and can give each other as, like, in a relationship or in, you know, for human connections. For me, I think, though, her just seems to do it in a way that's less, less like, less obvious. Judgmental? Yeah, judgmental. Maybe that's it. Maybe it's not, it's not speaking from any kind of, you know, lectern on how we should be treating each other. It's like, it just feels like a, a mirror of humanity, on humanity, but in this completely bizarre context and i think we've touched on how like you like surprising and effective instantly the optimism of her is mm. like i think i think about her and i go i wonder how many movies about similar themes would be improved with a touch of the optimism that spike brings to that entire film like the idea that well 
As far as it, yeah. uh, reflecting on, I guess, we're saying their marriage breakdown of this same relationship, he's had a lot more time to process and that's what yeah. this movie feels, feels like. like yeah. It feels like someone looking back yeah. on something and going, you know what, here were my faults, here were the things that I saw in you mm. and kind of like mm. I guess, yeah, adding in that little like, extra optimism where yeah. like I always feel like Lost in Translation feels like she's in It feels in like a losing battle. She feels oh, yeah. like she's in it still and you're still like yeah. got all those swirl of things going on in your head that you're processing. So That's very mm. true. Mm. Yeah. And it's almost like Lost in Translation and the like happenings of the film itself are just like a respite from the situation that she personally or like still yeah. is in. Yeah, that's interesting. It, I it feels like that that, it feels all. like her character's going to lose in Lost in Translation. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Even with like whatever he's whispering to her, you just get the sense that like her perspective is that maybe in some ways in life you can scrape through and you can get some little wins like here and there in regards to like your heart and your security and your connection to others. But mm. yeah, mm. It's, just, it, it's very, especially in like how the film presents connecting to other people. So many factors about like relying on other people as well make that battle seem impossible, like mm. impenetrable, you know. Whereas, you know, as we said very well, I think her is about yes, you can hurt so much and you can get knocked down so much, but that makes you bigger and like taller. And you should kind of be grateful for it. Mm. Yeah, because yeah. it means that next time you'll be, as you said, it means that next time you'll be able to love more. Mm. Yeah, and that love yeah. doesn't go away or whatever. You'll always yeah. have that love. Yeah, And there's like I the think idea, like, yeah, go lies. Sorry, I was going to say, I feel like all the feeling and humour and like optimism of her, like only watching Lost in Translation like really close next to it has made me realise like, how different the two, I mean, I don't want to get into like celebrity gossip or stuff, but how different like the two filmmakers are like Lost in Translation has such a numbness to it, like an ambient kind of feel. And like on this watch, I just found it more like off-putting and I I felt frustrated at the characters on this watch where it was like the movie has such a narrow moral window of like what it thinks is acceptable like it hates like modern stuff it hates the digital world it hates flashiness sexiness like anything that's cheap it's like really critical of and the characters like oh this food sucks like they just mm-hmm. walk around like too cool like 2002 indie kids like dead paying at everything <laughs> well and I was so about to I'm say, like, oh, no, go. Yeah. Sorry, Liza. I'm like, nothing. It just, no. <laughs> no, it's okay. I just felt like saying, like, what do you want? Like, yeah. And it felt like I was talking to a friend, like, coming out of a breakup, being like, what will make you happy then? Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. just be happy, you jerk. Yeah. The <laughs> worldview of that movie is like, everyone is sad inside. Yeah. And I feel like the worldview of her is like, there is happiness to be had in the world and yeah. I'm going to be there someday. Like, yeah. I think that's the Aww. aspirational view. Like, what it and is, we can like, get each other there kind of thing. And Pretty sort of seeing, on. like, the people around him too, like there's happiness within the side characters mm. in her, whereas yeah. I would say within, like, Lost in Translation, it just feels like everyone is lost. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> you know, yeah. that's kind of <laughs> And I don't know how <laughs> maybe it is unfair of us to think about it, like almost compare them because... Mm. Spike just came out the other side of it yeah, and was few, able to see it and Coppola yeah. hadn't yet. But visually yeah. they respond to each other. Like I, I found this yeah. video when I was sort of looking stuff up about the both of them that compares the visuals in both of these and like the other part There's that so I feel like. bedroom scenes. Oh, my God, just the shots point. of elevators and stuff, like literally shot for looking shot like replications and, and this like yeah. wide pans of the city and stuff and the way yeah. they're seen. I was like. It's actually so interesting as much as like, you know, we don't have to compare them just because it's from the same relationship. Mm. It's just like you go, he watched he watched Lost in Translation. Like he's obviously yeah. seen it. It yeah. just feels like 
there's parts there that I'm like, you can't ignore. Can it's so interesting. Imagine watching, like, isn't that just such an interesting, like, powerful idea? The idea of like, like, I also think of like marriage story and I think of like being married to someone and watching their art and just how much some of that would touch you and how much of that would fucking kill, like how much you would just. Like, marriage yeah. story is another one that you can tell yeah. time has been yeah, in between been the kind divorce too. and totally. when he's written about it. Yeah. Mm. Speaking of, this is just a fun fact that everyone needs to know that Eliza informed me of and you of and then we informed Das of. Um, uh, Noah Bornback, um, who paid for his divorce, wrote the screenplay to Madagascar 3, Europe's Most Wanted. So... You now know that. Amazing. Um, And with that, my vote is for her. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm voting for her as well. You get me too. Yay. Oh, my gosh. Everyone's voting for her. I I loved Lost in Translation, though. Like, I I didn't love it the first time I saw it, and I really liked it this time. And there's something to be said about its rawness. Like, we were kind of criticising it, but it's a good feature as well. It is. It is. I think it deserves its place, like, the place in history it has or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. But on this watch, like, I was annoyed by Charlotte and Bob, and the character I related to was Anna Faris's character. Me too. (laughs) She's so funny. I know she's a great performance by her. Yes, when she was like, we both have two dogs, we both live in LA. Like, like, oh, Das pointed out a bit that was so good where, like, um, she says the thing about her dad and you're just like, you're lying. Like, this isn't... Oh, she's oh like, my God, my I dad. You can see she it. smiles on her face. Like, it's literally this perfect depiction of someone just lying for fun. Because yeah, like, like, she's like, yeah, yeah, he's... At, like, with her dad's anorexic. Like, the story she was like, you're fucking lying. It did not happen. So good. Wow. Well, I hear him knocking on the roof. Let's go check on our triplet in the attic. Let's have a human connection with our triplet in the attic. How are you doing, Chad? Now it's time for Triplet in the Attic, where we got to pick a deformed, rejected little third piece of media, a song, a book, a movie, an AI, anything at all. A song, a book, a boo a that we think acts as a thematic triplet to this episode's Twin Picks. Would our guest for the week, Miss Eagle, like to kick us off? Okay, I'm picking a movie called... Anna Melissa. That's mine. Damn it. Fuck. I didn't know I was going to ask you. I have some other suggestions, but that's my boy's going to. No, gonna, no, that's great. We'll that's what I mean. It. Because, I mean, how could it you is. get. I was like, <laughs> you know, you guys are always like, oh, you know, if you're feeling in this mood, I was like, if you're feeling a bit depressed, a little bit sad about <laughs> men in life, just watch this and then just top it right off with more of that. Like, yeah, you know? literally. Um, that is a. Yeah. Uh, Bleak up. Oh, no. no well, you, I was about to say, yeah, it's, it's an animated film. Oh, it literally yeah. is so sad. But I always remember, like, you just expect it to, like, the saddest thing is when, um, her, well, which say first of sorry, like, it's all puppets and, mm. like, stop motion puppets. And, um, it's about a character who essentially, like, he, everyone's voice sounds the same and everyone's face is the same until he, like here's this woman at a hotel at like a press conference thing and then like by the end of the movie he doesn't well yeah he kind of it did really it reflected right back to me I'm like oh wow I really did expect that woman to fix him like it was like do do you know what I mean I was like whoa like what was that ever gonna be you know as we as Eliza I think it's a good thing that she pointed out at the end of our conversation there I think you know as 
uh, wonderful and unique it, as it is to see the optimism of, of her. It's a really important story that needs to be told of like people that it's just like maybe too far gone or like are just mm-hmm. so lost that it's like, well, this is their story now. Like yeah. that's what the story of this man's life is now. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's like it the is, opposite of her. Her yeah. is like, there are so many people out there you connect with and Annalise is like, there's no one except you and you're awful. <laughs> Yeah, yeah but it is exhaust. It's a really exhausting watch, and it has a beautiful score as well. It's uh, um, I always it made me feel disgusting. This movie because I only watched this last year. It had been on the list for like a long time, and Noel was like, "No, no, yeah, you have to see it's this. A like, movie. this is yeah. a new movie." And I literally like felt dirty after watching this yeah. movie. Like I don't know the feeling of literally like oh, like him reaching out and then it just being the same as always. Like it's just him and when he goes back to his family mm. and like, oh, mm. I don't know, there's something so, yeah, like lost about him that, yeah, as you said, it's complete antithesis to her. Yeah. <laughs> it's like someone sort of you're left with this like Optimism. optimism at the end of that shot on the roof. It's just him in his like house. Oh, yeah. yeah. It's just, we should have said it's Charlie Kaufman, so love. which a lot of people love. Obviously, he's the best. He's also really affiliated with this group, this little gang. Indeed. I want to be friends Spike with every one of these people. Anyway, whatever. <laughs> um, who's next? Meg. Oh, Meg. me? Kick me? it off. Okay. Yeah. So my triplet in the attic this week is like one of my favourite songs, probably my second favourite song. Oh, oh yeah, second. Okay, it's it's number two. <laughs> it's um by Arcade Fire, who composed the soundtrack oh. to her, which is like an amazing soundtrack mm. in my opinion. And I love Arcade Fire as a band. This song is from the album The Suburbs, um, which is like a concept album, and it's about like this whole community like goes underground or something. I don't know. My friend Ewan explained it to me. It gets like really covered listening. in snow. Yeah, they get like covered has to, like, in tunnel snow. through the snow to each other, and it's about all these tunnels and connections or something. Anyway, my the song that I'm suggesting is a song called Sprawl Two or like Sprawl I I, and I love it. And I don't, I don't actually, I didn't ever really read into, which is bad by me, like what the song's actually about. But what I take it to mean, because like the main like hook is like, we can never get away from the sprawl, is like, you'll never get away from the people that you've always known and like the person that they see you as. And like, you'll never escape that. Like, you'll never get away from like who people tell you you are. And that's who you'll always be. And that just makes me really sad and depressed. I love that song when you play the phone. But I love that song. You liked it and no one never likes pop music. I don't really know. Mm. No, but it was also interesting you speaking to like, you've talked to me before about how, like I just love people talking about art that you can tell are themes that like really resonate with them. Like you've talked to me before about how you're like, when you played that for me, you're like, I feel like this right now. Yeah, like, this I feel is my like life right now. I'm I feel like everyone thinks think I'm I, this thing yeah. and I don't want to, <laughs> wow, like, so I could be like, anyone. <laughs> emo. <laughs> yeah. So emo of me. No, it's just, but anyway, it's, yeah. I love that song. I love that band and I loved her. So just do it all, you know? Awesome. There we go. <laughs> um, Liz, how about you? Finish us off. Eee, I picked a song as well. Ooh. I picked, because her is one of my favourite movies, I picked one of my favourite songs as well, which is also about love and you know, humans trying to really connect and understand each other. And it's Kate Bush's running up that hill. Oh. Because oh. specific, oh. yeah, specific line. Gord. <laughs> gord. <laughs> with gourd. That's what she um, says. Yeah. <laughs> specific lines in like Lost in Translation and her. There was so much instances of both characters saying, oh, I just wish I could like explain to you how I feel. Like I wish you could, you know, Samantha being like, I wish you had my amazing robot brain and stuff. Yeah. And that's what the whole song is about. It's about like 
you know, two different genders or two different people in completely different positions being like, we would give anything to like understand each other right now. And like how difficult it is for people who, especially people who really, really love each other and want to understand each other Mm. to understand each other. Mm. Heartbreaking. Great picks round the board. Oh, I wow, feel like crying. We... I just feel like so I emotional have a really stuff after talking about We have to talk about Lizzie McGuire after this. I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> and that's even more emotional. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is not what dreams are made of. <laughs> um, thanks so much for listening to this episode of Twin Picks. If you had a good time, make sure you subscribe or follow from wherever you listen. And if you wouldn't mind, please leave us a little review on um, Apple Podcasts. That's what it's called, right? Apple Podcasts. Yeah. yeah. It really helps us out. Or just like leave us a rating, helps spread the word. Um, feel free to shoot us an email at twinpixpodcast at gmail.com with your feedback, suggestions, fan art. Um, fan fiction. Fan fiction. I want you guys <laughs> to like ship me and Spike Jones or something. Oh, wow. Maybe we should Ooh. get people. Maybe he's part of the gang. That's yeah, the story. I mean. I mean. <laughs> um, They're like and- Meg died while in a skateboarding accident. <laughs> 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 the Beastie Boys performed at her funeral. Oh, that oh my God. What a dream. I know. The dream. Anyway. Someone make it happen. <laughs> um, you can also follow our socials on Facebook and Instagram. Um, to keep updated with what the next upcoming episodes are. And also we'll be giving you some updates about the little fun, uh, like extra episodes we have to keep you busy mid isolation. And Eliza, do you want to tell the folks about Rough Cut? Go there. Roughcutfilm.com. Very good film writing. And we're still powering on through the Corona crisis and we'll keep you entertained with good film writing. That's it, folks. Chew up some movies <laughs> and, um, yeah. Thanks, Darcy. And thank you, Darcy. Yeah, amazing. Her name is Darcy. Yeah. Do you want to plug anything? Yeah, plug some shit. Plug something. I'm like, the everything's cancelled. <laughs> <laughs> Literally everything's cancelled. So um, that's You have a TikTok good. now? Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Yes, I'm sorry. Look out for that in Japan. Um, you yeah. have a TikTok? I... Almost. I'm working on it. I've, yeah. It's the savage one, which is. I, no, that's you, what I mean. You, you have a, Me and Mega both. Many, gonna we're going to learn. <laughs> you have some videos up there, don't um, you? D- no. Oh, <laughs> damn it. <laughs> anyway. I tried. <laughs> okay. Aww, bye. Bye bye.